Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of Pages Unknown, the podcast dedicated to all things books and pop culture. I will be joined every week by my fabulous co-host, Michaela. Say hi, Michaela. Hi, Michaela. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening. As a note, in this episode, we will be discussing Jeanette McCurdy's book, I'm Glad My Mom Died. We'll be talking about some topics that might be triggering or hard to hear for some folks. The book contains some difficult and very adult themes, including relationships with food, as well as physical, sexual, and substance abuse. The additional thing we want to mention is that if you have not read this book yet, this is your fair and evergreen warning that there will be some spoilers throughout this episode. As a reminder, new episodes are out every Wednesday. You can find clips on our TikTok, which is also Pages Unknown. So let's dive right in here. As we mentioned, we'll be talking about memoirs and the themes that often show up in them. Along with Jeanette McCurdy's memoir, we'll also touch on celebrity tell-alls, Nickelodeon stardom, family drama, all that jazz. But let's start with a little bit of context. This book follows Jeanette throughout her life living in California with her mother, father, three brothers, and grandparents. They are, at the beginning of the book, devout Mormons. But as it goes along, that falls to the wayside as Jeanette's career takes off and her mother's manager role, momager, as some would call it, takes over. Jeanette McCurdy was a star on Nickelodeon's hit show, iCarly. She starred alongside Miranda Cosgrove and the two were actors from a young age. Jeanette's character on iCarly, as I'm sure many of you listening remember, was Sam Puckett. Zachariah, what do you remember about iCarly? I loved this show. I loved the character as well. Now in hindsight though, looking back at some of the episodes after reading this book, things are a little tainted. Yeah. Uh, things are things are put in weird context now. Jeanette, her character is obsessed with food. Uh, at the same time, Jeanette in real life is being taught the ways of calorie restriction and mm -hmm. slowly being taught an eating disorder. Yeah. Watching the show with this context really makes me uncomfortable. I, I love the show and Jeanette did bring a lot of us a lot of humor uh, and it's nostalgic to think back to watching these episodes when they first came out. Michaela, I know that you and I, there's a little bit of an age gap there. So as I was aging out of some of these shows on uh, Nickelodeon, like this show plus the show with Britney Spears' uh, sister, Zoe 101, that's what it's called, right? So uh, yes, some of these yes. shows, I was, yes, I was aging out of. I had three younger siblings, so some of these shows were still playing. Did you watch any of these shows? Not really. I mm. was sort of precocious at that age. I was very much like, <laughs> I'm too cool for school. I, I did watch Zoe 101. <laughs> that was a great show. Loved it. But I didn't really get into iCarly. I definitely mm. saw bits and clips of it. You know, like I'd catch an episode here or there and I knew who the characters were. But I uh, I wasn't following it super closely, which is sort of interesting now having read this book. And as you said, mm -hmm. sort of opening your eyes to the reality of what she was going through while it was being filmed. It's interesting to go back and watch some episodes and just sit mm -hmm. in kind of abject horror <laughs> knowing what was going on you, you feel a little guilty you do feel a little guilty because this person is really performing their heart out yeah. and in in real life was not really feeling that they had anything uh, or anybody that was looking out for their best interest Jeanette details you know how she's gone through therapy and processed much of this trauma right the end result of this processing has been this book where she details not just the abuse from her mother, but also from directors on these different shows and some of the folks around her. Yeah. Uh, the, as the title you know, suggests, this book is mostly concerning the relationship with her mother. Upon finishing the book, all I can say is I'm also glad her mother died. <laughs> I mean, that's my initial reaction like yeah. to the book. I'm like, yeah, I agree. 
what were, what were your thoughts after reading it and about the title itself? Well, I think that Jeanette did a really good job of making it her mother this larger than life villain. Whereas at the time, you know, like in the early years, her mother mm-hmm. was her hero. So it's just, it's interesting to see the arc of her mother being the center of her universe and mm-hmm. then it being taken to somewhere totally new. And finally she dies and you're kind of left mm-hmm. wondering, is she glad her mom died? Because if she hadn't, would she have ever gotten out from under her thumb? You know, this right. sort of concept of if she hadn't died, mm-hmm. where would Jeanette be now? Which is pretty yeah. scary to think about. Well, absolutely. You have no control. I mean, in this yeah. book, she talks about having absolutely no, no real control over her image, over her food, over her career choices, over when she was, a, what shampoo she used, yeah. right? When she was able to take a bath. Yeah. Jeanette really does disclose a lot of very personal things in this book. Yeah. I and think it's pretty cool. It is. It is really cool. Like I'm glad to see somebody being real. And I know authenticity is a thing that often comes up when we talk about people in Hollywood or public figures. If this isn't the most real thing I've read in a long time, I mean, for real, she talks about her mother bathing her until she was like 18 or something. Yeah, absolutely if ridiculous. Call, if you can call what these were baths uh, or I, showers. Uh, it's... No, she's giving her breast exams and all sorts of strange things that you just, I mean, I think that's my first initial reaction to the book, right? Was that I was uncomfortable and that feeling stayed. Right. The entire time. I know and I understand that when I'm reading a book and I have that feeling of discomfort, it usually indicates that the book is going to be pretty important and going to stick with me for a long time. But geez Louise, from the get, I Mm -hmm. was squirming in my seat, had to put it down, take a break, which is horrible to say because you have to remember this poor child didn't get a break. It was her life. And I hesitate to even say it was a toxic family environment. It went beyond Mm -hmm. that. Her relationship with her mother was parasitic. Her Uh, mother was just feeding off of her and she knew she was aware that she didn't like what was going on. She had those feelings, Mm -hmm. but she consistently put those feelings aside in favor of maintaining her mother's emotional equilibrium. Yeah. She was managing everybody else's emotions. Most, most importantly, she was catering to her mother's, not just her, her mom's wishes, but managing everybody in this household's emotions and finances, right? Like she was the cash cow, right? So you have this mother that we've kind of described a bit as parasitic living through her daughter, right? Mm -hmm. We can go into talking about her mom, but before we get there, I do want to read a small portion from the very beginning of this book. (laughs) That illustrates the, it's like the first page, uh, the real trauma that she's setting up to disclose to us and the monster that was her mother. set the scene. Yes. So, you know, her mother had been diagnosed previously with cancer and she had beat it. And then this book is about after her mother dies from cancer. Mm -hmm. So the very, very first bit, the prologue is actually the most recent set of events that have happened in Jeanette's life. It's strange how we always give big news to loved ones in a coma, as if a coma is just a thing that happens from a lack of something to be excited about in your life. Mom is in the ICU at the hospital, and she's standing next to her mom's tiny body with her three brothers, and they're all saying something to her in the hopes that she's going to react or wake up or something, right? So one of them leans in and talks about moving back to California, hoping that the shock of her child moving somewhere else means something or moving back, I should say, moving back to be with the family. Nothing happens. The next person steps up and says, Kate and I are getting married. 
absolutely nothing. Nothing happens. She doesn't move. Jeanette waits until everybody else has left the room. Jeanette walks up and this really, this really broke me. Mommy, I am so skinny right now. I'm finally down to 89 pounds. Jeez Louise. I'm finally down to your goal weight for me. She waits and waits for something to happen. She's so confident. She sits back in a chair and just relaxes, assuming it's going to wake your mom up. God. The last line is, so without mom, who am I supposed to be now? Ugh, heartbreak. Just total, complete heartbreak. And Jeanette is not setting herself up to like feel like empathy about her. She's just straight up saying, or like even sympathy. She's setting it up to be like, this is just what happened. This is what I was taught. I was taught this person is everything. So I wanted to make sure to read that at the beginning. This really sets the tone of the book (laughs) (laughs) of what you're getting yourself into. Absolutely. This is not a read to take on vacation like I did. No. (laughs) Reading this on a beach doesn't really seem like it fits. I can't believe you did that. (laughs) The we've talked about her mom a little bit. Her mom is described as being obsessive with her appearance, living through Jeanette. She's Mm -hmm. eating a small amount. She's reading all of these diet magazines. I don't even know what what the titles of these magazines are, but it's good housekeeping and all of these things like that. Right. She's demanding. She's abusive of everybody in the household. You know, the family dynamic, right? There's three brothers, like I mentioned. The dad is there and then the mom's parents. So Jeanette's grandparents also live with them. And I believe that they might've moved in after the initial cancer diagnosis. Yeah, I think you're right. So like you're saying, she's diagnosed with cancer. Obviously, for any family, that would be earth shattering. But specifically for Jeanette, you know, this is pretty difficult. But she goes into remission, she survives. And it's this huge plot point that her mom consistently references her cancer diagnosis and her survival of that throughout the book. She uses it to get out of parking tickets. She uses it to help secure Jeanette's roles with an agent. Uh, She uses it to get on sets with Jeanette. She uses it Mm. to get into Jeanette's doctor's appointments. She says Mm -hmm. over and over again, I'm a cancer patient. I need to be with her. I I need this. I need that. And Mm -hmm. she goes so far as to have weekly viewings. This is just absurd weekly viewings Uh of a home video she made when she received the diagnosis. This is unhinged. Uh, It's truly ridiculous. And she makes the same comments every time. And uh, just to reiterate, a weekly viewing. She sits her family down and she says, let's look at this video so we can be grateful for where mommy is now. And she consistently uses this video to humiliate Jeanette, who at Mm -hmm. the time the video was recorded, mind you, is two years old. And just to Mm -hmm. give you an idea of Jeanette's exact reaction to this, apparently in the video, two-year-old Jeanette wouldn't Mm -hmm. stop singing Jingle Bells. She kept singing Jingle Bells. (laughs) She's two. Okay. Uh And her mom calls her a stinker, but she doesn't say it in an affectionate way. She calls her a stinker as if you would say you're a a bitch. You know, she Mm -hmm. uses this sort of tone of voice. This nasty vitriolic. And Jeanette says in the book, age is no excuse. I feel tremendous guilt every time we rewatch the home video. How Mm. could I not have known better? What a stupid idiot. How could I not have sensed what mom needed? That she needed all of us to be serious, to be taking the situation as hard as we possibly could, to be devastated. She needed us to be nothing without her. Oh my God. (laughs) And if that doesn't pose as a thesis statement for this whole book, she needs her family to be nothing without her. Mm. But she doesn't want to actually help them. 
she doesn't want to take any steps, you know, that a parent would normally take to make themselves their kid's person. You know, I I still call, I'm 27 Mm -hmm. years old. I still call my dad and my mom to get recipes for meatloaf. When I have to pay a bill, I call my father. When I have to fix a shelf, I call my father. She didn't do any of that. She was never actually useful. She just Mm -hmm. needed them to need her. And it is so heartbreaking to me to think of a little girl mm-hmm. watching herself as an even literal girl, this two-year-old who's I just know. excited to sing Jingle Bells. And she also goes on to say on that same page, just to continue mm-hmm. to set the scene for you, she goes on to describe the general feel of her household. Mm-hmm. She says, the general air in the McCurdy household, the best way I can describe it is that for as far back as I can remember, the air in the house has felt like a held breath. Like we're all in a holding pattern waiting for mom's cancer to come back. Between the constant reenactments of mom's first bout of cancer and the frequent follow-up visits with doctors, the unspoken mood in the house is heavy. The fragility of mom's life is the center of mine. And now this is as, you know, I believe in this chapter, she's what, six or seven? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For a young child Mm -hmm. to be already acknowledging that her existence is all about her mom's is so Mm -hmm. horrifying to me. I can't even imagine... (laughs) living in that house. Can't even imagine. I mean, listen, sometimes as I was reading this, the dysfunction was a little triggering. I grew up in it. It was, we're dysfunctional. All of us are still alive, you know, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Very basic, (laughs) very, very basic. We breathe. (laughs) But the, the way she describes the dynamic between everybody was a bit triggering. And I had to do some processing with my own therapist, I might add oh, boy. about this book. Yeah, it was not great. But this vicarious of living through somebody mm-hmm. is one thing. But then going so far as to not just living through them, but making it so that I'm going to make you exactly like I want to be, but you're also going to look at me as your own Lord and Savior. Yeah. And I think it's funny. That's how it is. Like the most important in Jeanette's life, but they were Mormon. Like they, they did go to church, right? Speaking, speaking of religion, they did go, they were active members. They were, And then then they became inactive Mm -hmm. once Jeanette's career started to take off. I know we were talking briefly about like a reprieve from any of this, like off the podcast. This was her only escape from the house, like from all of this stuff was the church. Yeah. No, I mean, she even goes so far later in the book to say like verbatim, more than anything, I love the escape church is a beautiful peaceful three hour mm-hmm. weekly reprieve from the place i hate most home interestingly enough right you know at the beginning like you say they're mm-hmm. active members in their church and they're going regularly and jeanette as a young child is mm-hmm. corralling her family into the car because she just wants to be there she wants to get out of her house and for three hours just be in church and later on in the book one of the other members of their uh-huh. church says to her that they're inactive members and she has this visceral reaction to it it's a curse word that is yeah. a curse word to be called this in the mormon church if you're if you are an inactive member. It's a very socially acceptable way to shame you. It's expected for people to to use that. Yeah. And to have that one safe space sort of robbed of her and then have this Mm -hmm. other girl throw it in her face. Obviously Mm -hmm. that other child had no idea of what was going on in her house, but still that hurts. It's so interesting, especially when her house was such a terrible place to be. They lived in Garden Grove in California. And she mentions that it's called what is Garbage Grove, I think is what it's <laughs> yeah. lovingly, lovingly called by people <laughs> so outside lovingly. of it. 
it's heavily implied that people look at this area as that's where the white trash lives. Yeah. You can't quite call them hillbillies. You can't call them hillbillies, no, right? It's not like California. That. Oh, that's on the other side of the tracks, you know? Right. And I hate the phrase white trash. I, I don't want to get into it right now, but like, I, I don't want to get into it. I'm not going to. However, it is heavily implied that this is bad. This is negative. Jeanette is part of that. Yeah. When Jeanette, when she starts her career, right? She's in all of these movies. She doesn't come from a lot of money. She becomes the cash cow. She is the thing to pull this family out yeah. of some of this financial problems. Cause it, the mom continues to tell the dad that he's bad at providing for the family. Mm-hmm. Right. So to reiterate that point going forward, when we start to talk about what goes on with her mother spending all her money and her not seeing a penny of her child mm-hmm. acting money, you know, you can kind of attribute that to the way she grew up. She wasn't taught how to handle finances. They had no idea no. how to handle finances. They were constantly behind on bills. Her mother mm-hmm. was always calling for extensions, always scrounging for coin. And as a result of that, she never really paid attention. And it's not her fault, but it does lead to financial difficulties as a child well, actor. A lot of child actors are supposed to have Coogan accounts. Right, right. So Coogan accounts are supposed to, I, I think it's 15% or of, of whatever you're being paid is supposed to be going into this account. Jeanette has talked about it on in a couple of interviews. It doesn't exist. Like there yeah. is no Coogan account. Like, no. and if it, if it does exist, it's like, it's nothing there. So the mother was really doing all of this for herself. It's really screwed up to think that the mom in her own perverted way was thinking she was helping her family by forcing Jeanette into being the workhorse. Child acting as, as a whole is bad. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. And I that's have... the that on that. <laughs> I really want to be harsh on yeah. the industry, but I mean, Jeanette is very critical of all of it, right? Because yeah. she would not choose to become one. But Kayla, do you have any experience acting on stage or anybody you know <laughs> that was in uh, this? Well, I certainly wasn't a child actor. I think the closest I probably got was I was in elementary school. I was supposed to play Santa Mm -hmm. in uh, some Christmas play we were doing, but I got so (laughs) anxious about it that I actually started profusely vomiting and could not go on stage. Uh, So they didn't have a Santa. I think they made up some line. My friends had to scrounge. They said, "Uh oh, Santa's not here. Uh, He got sick because he ate too many cookies or something like that. I really put Uh, them in a bind. Do you have any child (laughs) acting experience? Because I need to move on now. I always wanted really when I was in junior high and high school, I think I was just loud. And so people assumed I must be good (laughs) at projecting. Right. They they assumed a lot of that. Right. (laughs) If anybody was listening and thought like, oh, this is definitely a theater, an ex theater, ex band kid. I mean, you were right on the money, but (laughs) I was in a production of Arsenic and Old Lace and I had four lines and I thought I was getting an agent next week. Oh my God, week. big break, big break. <laughs> my big break was four lines in a high school production that 14 people saw. So <laughs> the entire industry is rife with stories like Jeanette's. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that people have talked about it in as much detail as Jeanette has. Like people have talked yeah. about an instance. Like I had this problem. I had this problem. And Jeanette's like, oh, 
I had those problems, but I also had this and I had this and also this was happening. But yeah, then also I turned around. Yeah, it just every single time she got a break in her career, she had a breakdown in her personal life. And that's really, <laughs> it's so bad. It's horrible. I, need, y'all I don't need to laugh. Book. Oh my gosh. Y'all gotta read this. I laugh because I'm like uncomfortable with the concept of mm-hmm. how terrible this all was. Being the main source of income for your family is mm-hmm. a lot of pressure as an adult, let alone a child. Well, her mom wanted her to stay a child. Her, yeah. her mom wanted oh, her yeah. to keep, right? It wasn't that she developed an eating disorder. It's that she was taught one. Yeah, absolutely. Horrifying. (laughs) It was calorie restriction so that Jeanette wouldn't become an adult, wouldn't get her period, right? Wouldn't wouldn't do any of those things. Mm -hmm. So she would just stay tiny. I read at the beginning, 89 was the goal weight. And I'm like, I wonder how long she, you know, was at this goal weight. So as we mentioned, Jeanette was the star of the Nickelodeon show, iCarly, but also starred in a spinoff called Sam and Cat. So she starred alongside Ariana Grande in that second one. This is where we start talking about in the book, she mentions the creator. <laughs> this creator is Dan Schneider. He was Nickelodeon's hit maker. Like that's really yeah. what he was. Yeah, he was if, the there guy. was if there was a popular show, his name was attached to it in some way, either in casting, directing, creating, producing. He had his name on it. She starred alongside Miranda Cosgrove, who she does talk lovingly about Yes, thankfully. Seems that was a bright spot. And something to note with that is Jeanette talks about how she has this deep mistrust or distrust of women from her mother. Her mother talks to her about how boys will not get to know you and lie to you, but women will get to know you and then hurt you with the stuff they know about you. And, Mm -hmm. you know, female friendships can be so empowering. And the fact that her mother robbed Mm -hmm. her of that for the sake of robbing her of continued independence because any female Mm -hmm. friend would look at her relationship with her mother and maybe say, Hey, do you want to unpack this a little? But (laughs) Do you want to talk? (laughs) Should we like go over this a little bit? I think that there's something here. Call me crazy. But her mother didn't want that. She Mm -hmm. wanted to be the number one person in her life. Mm -hmm. She knew female friendships could take that place. And, you know, she even goes, she goes on to say about Miranda, my relationship with Miranda was hugely healing to my concept of women. And Mm -hmm. my mom was always saying, men will never really know you and they'll hurt you, but women will know you deeply and they'll hurt you. You tell me which is worse. These are the thoughts that I hear about women, not to mention my very complicated relationship with my mom and then seeing her relationship with her mom on top of it. And I have three brothers who I love and I felt this sort of trust towards boys that I didn't feel towards girls very young. And Miranda helped me to heal that relationship but it's still something I struggle with. This is so sad to me. This innate competition her mother gave to her and, you know, consistently taking these things away from her and then clobbering her with women will never understand you. They'll take from you and they'll hurt you. And I just, it makes me so angry. The most fulfilling relationships Mm -hmm. in my life are those of my female friendships that I've had Mm -hmm. for, you know, in some cases, almost two decades, two decades of my life. I'm 27. That's a majority of my life. Absolutely. It's so sad to to me that this is her view of women or not anymore thankfully thankfully she's mm-hmm. healing this but oh my gosh i can't even imagine absolutely after the book was released and people digested it people were looking at how miranda reacted to sure. this right and people were praising her on online on twitter i didn't see a lot of the ariana grande discourse however 
there was a lot of hitting them against each other. And I'm sure that this just exacerbated this problematic relationship that she had with female identified folks. Ariana Grande is a figure that's all over, right? Mm -hmm. And we know her music career took off when she was still in production on Sam and Cat. It might have been even partially during Victorious. That's what I was just going to say. I don't know how much overlap there is there. But was it the case with Sam and Cat that Mm -hmm. Jeanette had been promised that it would be her own show? And then Jeanette was promised she would have her own show. And it would be, oh my gosh, uh, where she was supposed to be a high school guidance counselor. Right, right. right? She was supposed to be, yes, as Sam. I forget what it was supposed to be called. Oh, Just Puckett. That's what it was supposed to be called, which I loved. We promise um, we prepped for this episode. We promise. <laughs> <laughs> we we totally prepped. We absolutely did. There's a part where Jeanette talks about Ariana Grande whistle-toning at the Billboard Music Awards during filming for Sam and Cat. Yes. And Jeanette was absolutely, I mean, pissed, really pissed off because the character of Ariana Grande in the show was just in a box and didn't have to do anything. So Jeanette had to act around it. But can you imagine being promised your own show, mm-hmm. then having to deal with a show about both of you, has a, you have a co-star, and then that co-star just decides, and I don't even know if we can say that Ariana Grande decided. We don't know. No, I mean, we don't she was doing her that. own thing. That wasn't her but She fault. was doing her own thing. You know, right. the fact of the matter was she, I believe the context of the whistle toning thing was mm-hmm. that Jeanette had to turn down movie deals because they were saying absolutely they couldn't pause filming for Sam and Kat for her to film in a movie, but they could mm-hmm. stop filming or, you know, write out Ariana's character for a few episodes uh-huh. because she was at the Billboard Music Awards. And that sense of injustice just mm-hmm. fueled the fire of this sort of distrust mm-hmm. of women and this competition she felt she was in with Ariana mm-hmm. and these negative, negative connotations that she had with her female co-stars. So well, I just think it's crazy. Especially after some of the nonsense that she was dealing with from the creator, right? The creator promised her this and she had been to all of these lunches and things with him and her mother, right? Mm-hmm. Her, her manager. Yeah, absolutely. And Jeanette really wasn't able to like talk during these meetings. It was always her mother. And the questions that the creator would ask uh, Dan Schneider was promising all of these things to his little favorites on all these different sets. Yeah. And Jeanette was like, well, fine, I guess I can be uncomfortable if it's going to help me boost my career and make my mother happy and be able to pay my family's bills and be able to do X, Y, and Z. It's just, I'm sure there are so many people that have had to deal with this exact thing, man. Yeah, I agree. And I also think that Jeanette talks a little bit about right around the same time in the book, I believe she talks about how she's referred to as a teacher's pet, a good egg, you know, the good one. <gasps> Absolutely. And that has been reported. I mean, you could probably find innumerable actors, singers, people mm-hmm. that are in the public eye specifically that identify as being a woman who have been like, yeah, I, I was called this, the good one, the easy one, the one that will do whatever she's told. Mm-hmm. Uh, she won't push back. She won't argue. She'll just go along with whatever you need her to do. And it was framed in a very positive way. But Jeanette she's talks about She's just happy now, to be there. Exactly. She's just happy to be there. Mm-hmm. She talks about now how it made her embittered and it made her hate oh, yeah. and resent deeply the 
career she was in. It certainly wasn't her choice to be in it. And at that point, she's been in it for, what, six, seven years. <laughs> this is still what she's dealing with. I mean, it's just crazy. And I mean, I think, too, she talks about specifically with Ariana Grande. She talks about how mm -hmm. Ariana had come from a loving family in a rich neighborhood and right. had been, you know, granted all this success. And yeah. don't get me wrong. I'm a huge Ariana Grande fan. Love yeah. it. Whistletone your way to the stars, honey. To Jeanette at the time, she came from nothing. And here yeah. comes this person who's getting all these opportunities, who's being told she can do whatever she wants, whose mother is normal. And to top it all off, she's now my co-star in the show that was supposed to be mm -hmm. mine. Like... That's an insane amount. I'd be losing oh, my mind. Oh, I would God, be absolutely yeah. losing my mind. I'm being forced to do this. I don't even want to be here. Then I was promised this big thing. And now like everything else, she had zero control. Absolutely. Since we are talking about Ariana Grande and her singing career, which is fantastic. We, we love, but Jeanette went yes. down to Nashville and recorded at least demos, but I know that some were released. There's a song I actually love called So Close. It's fantastic. And I have, I have it downloaded. Like I bought, I bought the single Jeanette. I just want you to know, <laughs> I, I really, really a appreciate true fan. it. No, a, a true stan. Like I, to this day, I still listen to that song. I wish she would think about putting out an album and I know she didn't even want a singing yeah, career. No, uh, the right? writing thing seems to be where her head's at. I mean, when did she write that screenplay absolutely. when she was like eight mm -hmm. or something crazy? But continue. Well, absolutely. But then her mom squashed that immediately because that oh, of course. Didn't. But if you noticed, it was always about what the mom had wanted to do because the mom only pushed Jeanette to do the singing career because her her agents said that everybody was doing it at the time. And right. they were, right? All the Nickelodeon and Disney stars were getting these different music deals. Jeanette would have been the first country singer mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. either of those two conglomerates produced. But the mom just didn't care about that. She cared that it was a good move for her career, but the mom never wanted to be a singer, right? No. So there wasn't the same pressure. There was a different type of pressure to perform, I suppose. Yeah. But I just wanted to mention that because stream so close. Uh, it is. <laughs> it's a good song. <laughs> I love but that. I mean, well, like all things, she had no control. That was, that's, uh, we keep going back to that idea. She just did not have any type of independence or autonomy to make her own decisions. And that's probably why she went down the road of drugs and, and alcohol and eating disorders. These things Absolutely. that can make something very simple out of chaos, you know, yep. you, the illusion, illusion of control, right? Where she can decide, mm -hmm. okay, well, I can't decide what I'm doing with my career. I can't decide when I can and can't show up on set. I can't decide what time I wake up, what I wear, what I do, but I can decide side that I'm going to use a substance tonight, that I'm going to yep. drink this to be numb for just a little while, or that I can count these calories and I can withhold food from myself. I can mm -hmm. purge food from myself. And that's all my choice. And yep. I finally get to sort of experience a, a semblance of control. She went from being anorexic mm -hmm. to being bulimic. Yes. Right. She's ran the full gamut. Uh, she's, it talks about when she was binging, right? How it felt. It was talking about how much she was drowning things in alcohol. Just She even talks about Miranda Cosgrove one time and maybe a couple of times. People would go to the bathroom with her during things, support and make sure that she was all right as she was going through recovery. Mm -hmm. Towards the end of the book, she starts talking to us about handling therapy. She was writing things down and she was doing that while she was eating. She was talking about her feelings. Yes. Was she eating 
I think she was eating spaghetti or like she had like a plate of spaghetti in front of her (laughs) staring at this plate of food. (laughs) And the exercise is to write down everything she's feeling as she's looking at this plate of food, Mm. as she's taking a bite of the spaghetti, uh, write down all the things she's feeling. And it very quickly becomes overwhelming. She's anxious. She wants to eat the food. She doesn't want to eat the food. Uh, She knows that if she eats the food, she'll probably get heavier and she doesn't want to get heavier, but she really wants to eat it. And she wants to eat the whole thing. It's not even, I want to take a couple bites. No, it's, I want to eat this entire plate of spaghetti just to feel it. And then obviously she would purge it and she's sort of rating her emotions on Mm -hmm. a scale of one to 10. And it just very quickly, it devolves and her disappointment and her Mm self-loathing just continues to skyrocket as she tries to find some type of safe haven for her emotions. Every, exactly. Permeates is a great word for it. It does. It really goes throughout Mm -hmm. the whole book. She cannot catch break through this entire book. She has one therapist who she went to and this therapist almost becomes a hanger on, goes with her to events, like, you know, knows all of the people on set and everything. Like this therapist just comes with her. And then eventually she has to, she cuts that therapist off, Mm -hmm. finds a new therapist. Mm -hmm. And that seems to take. Yeah. Well, this person is no nonsense. I think too, like uh, in the beginning of her, her journey with therapy through her eating disorders, they have her, I think she says it's something like tracking the tracking. Like you're not supposed to track how many calories you're taking in, how much food you're eating per day. Mm -hmm. So they want her to track how often she's tracking (laughs) her food intake, which doesn't seem like a great idea. (laughs) Well, she does have obsessive compulsive disorder. Like it's talked about she touches things for good luck. She does that throughout Mm -hmm. the entire book. So she is actively tracking stuff, but now she's been given a new thing to track. Yeah. And it's just, it's interesting to hear about her journey through therapy because Mm -hmm. therapy can be a very intensive process for a lot of people and it can be very difficult to get started and even harder if you don't find the right therapist in the first try, which likely you wouldn't. Uh, There's a lot of people out there and everybody needs something different, it can be really discouraging. So, mm-hmm. you know, I have to admire her sort of strength, even though it wasn't necessarily her own choice to continue to search for a therapist. She kind of got, you know, people around her were starting to pressure her into it a little bit, but she stuck with it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's extremely impressive. It speaks to her willpower. There is something that, listen, I'm not condoning. I just want to say this. There is something to talk about. People that do have eating disorders, there is this insane level of willpower and compulsion yeah. of to just get through to do what they think they need to do yeah. constantly. So I will say it's nice to see her turn that willpower from the negative to something positive, aka staying in therapy, saying, mm-hmm. I'm just going to keep doing it. I'm going to push through these emotions, these problems. This was really cathartic to yeah. go through this book and just watch Jeanette, unfortunately, deal with things, but deal with things in a way where she's able to now sit back and say, yeah, I did that. Yeah. This is my life. I think that that's one of the big takeaways. So did you, after reading this, look into any of the reviews? They're kind of, they're kind of all over the place. They're a little varied. They are all over the place, but I will say I didn't look on Amazon Kindle, for example. I didn't look in the New York, I didn't look at any of those. I looked at Goodreads because if I want to get like a sense of something, I want to look at avid readers, (laughs) right? I want to look at what the, like the average or very avid readers are talking about. Yeah, for sure. This is, this is not sponsored. Um, hello, But we're open to it. Thank you. (laughs) We love you. Shameless. Sorry. Uh, We're absolutely shameless on some of that but there are a couple in here saying can we do group therapy together like they're really thanking her for the catharsis of reading this yeah there are some in here who are saying finally somebody has said 
all of the quiet parts out loud. And I know Jeanette's been through everything. And the negative reviews though, these are wild. There are some people who are, there are some critiques that people have about her writing style, which I, sure, you can critique it. It's not fiction though, so. Right, it's, this is her life. This is, this is how she wrote it. One person says, the problem is abuse does not excuse the poor and self-serving behavior Fee talked about in her older years. Oh boy. The book felt like a way to just complain and vent. Huh? And if, uh, hello, that's what a lot of memoirs are. They're it's getting a memoir, things down. I wonder if this person just didn't real. This is the thing. People wanted something else. Yeah. Exactly. There are people in here who are talking about scriptures. They're quoting scripture in oh. their review to her. Uh-oh. And I, I don't know if these are some Mormons who are just mad at the way that she talked about the church, even though it wasn't super It wasn't like, positive or negative. It was pretty neutral, I feel like. It I mean, was she very matter of fact. She loved it at first, but... It was very matter of fact. She told it what it was, but I think some people were looking for drama. They were looking uh, for... Yeah. A, yeah, they were looking tea? for like a... Yeah, it was like a sort... They wanted a breakdown of the dramas of working in Nickelodeon at that time, but that's mm-hmm. not what this is. I don't know why you would Mm-mm. expect that. This isn't an expose on right. Dan Schneider or anything like that. This mm-hmm. is her life. This is her real yeah. story. And mm-hmm. for the people critiquing the way she's writing it, how can you critique the way somebody writes their life? It's not a fiction book. It's not mm-hmm. something, you know, it's not a like a nonfiction book about something other than her. It's her mm-hmm. life. It is basically like a confessional. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that if she had turned it into sort of a tea session, <laughs> delivering all this like, mm-hmm. ooh, and guess what she said, and Ariana Grande did this, and yeah. it would have been a disservice to her her life, the to trajectory her of her story and her healing. I won't get into the people quoting scripture. I know. You know, that's its own brand of whatever. But I do think that the title really rubbed people the wrong way, and it made it so people wouldn't want to even read it to review it. You know, I know that some older people really had a problem like, oh, you just resent your parents, and you're just like another you know, kid trying to mm-hmm. get out of Dodge. It's like, mm, no, she's happy because she physically couldn't separate herself from her mother. And mm-hmm. death was the only way she could get away from her. That Just to round it out, not to go full circle here. <laughs> I think people wanted, I don't know that people wanted a full expose, but I think they wanted her to condemn it more yeah. than even went so far as, you know, as she did. Yeah. They wanted them, her to go farther. And I think you're right. It would have been an absolute disservice to her own story and her growth. People wanted something like a, um, like a tell-all. Like yeah. some celebrities have done tell-alls. We won't For necessarily sure. get into all of those, but I remember the era of like YouTubers oh, putting God, out memoirs, yeah. right? Yeah. And their tortured past. And I think, I think you might've, when we were talking about this episode and the planning process, you said some of the YouTubers backstories were, oh, I was bullied. And in reality, it was the the lunch lady once told them to hurry up through line. (laughs) Right. Well, that's how it was reading. Uh, To be fair, you know, I didn't read a lot of the YouTuber ones. I did read Mm -hmm. one of them, which I very much enjoyed, which was Louise Pentland's book. Cause I think she's fantastic. She came out with a new Mm. book called Mum Life. I read it. It was lovely. She's a very warm person with a very difficult past. And that to Mm -hmm. me was like a memoir that's worth being a memoir. Some of those other YouTuber ones, I was like, you're just doing, this is a cash grab, like just a blatant Mm -hmm. cash grab. Like, oh, I used to be 
short, so I'm tortured. I, wow. Uh, Sorry. Way to call out <laughs> Sorry. Like a third of all YouTubers <laughs> from the 2010s. Uh, yeah, my bad, my bad. I will say, no, you're fine. I will say that Mamrie Hart is one oh, of the people I that I, I love. Um, Grace Helbig also wrote a thing. Glozell wrote a memoir. Is you okay? I There's a lot of Glozell. things. You know, Glozell knew exactly what she was doing all the time. She knew exactly how to market herself. She knew exactly what was going on. There's just a lot in here. Shane Dawson did one. It's kind of a, an interesting topic that we don't need to get into right now, but a lot of people have a lot of opinions about Shane Dawson. The last one that I think that kind of came up in a lot of lists was the one from Anna Akana uh, when she lost her sister to suicide. And so she turned a lot of that grief into humor, which is exactly what Jeanette has done with this book. She presented her trauma and abuse in a humorous way. And I think a lot of future child yeah. stars are going to be better because of this existing. Well, I think what's so great about this memoir, to me, at least in my head, the way mm. I sort of organize things is one of the best memoirs I've ever read is called Know My Name by Chanel mm. Miller, who wrote about her experience being the victim of a sexual assault, uh, a very televised one, if you all remember Brock Turner. I highly recommend if you are able to, if you have the mental facility to get through a book about such a heavy topic, and I will warn you, it is quite graphic. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. And I would rank this book, you know, Jeanette's memoir with Know My Name because mm. she has really brought you into her own psyche, brought you into her world. And she includes a sort of dry humor to it and she lightens the mood and she tells it like it is, which I really respected. Our yeah. first recommended book on the podcast. Obviously, Jeanette McCurdy's book is right up there. I think everybody should read it. I yes. think now Know My Name should be on your TBR, Everyone ready to it. go. Thank you all for joining us on the first episode of Pages Unknown Yay! podcast. We this did has been, it. Yes, we've done it. We're very new with this. Uh, we're enjoying yeah. ourselves. Thank you so much again for listening. New episodes are out every single Wednesday. Thank you. Yeah, thank you guys so much. And we promise that the next episode, which by the way, is already available for you to listen to if you mm -hmm. made it through this and you somehow want more of us. We have two other episodes posted already and the next one is significantly lighter. Uh, we're sort of talking about all things cozy fantasy and it's perfect because mm -hmm. the weather is getting chilly. It's raining as we're recording this. So I'm absolutely <laughs> thrilled. It's perfect. All right. This is Zachariah and Michaela signing off.